This is Darrell Alia, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast, episode 195. Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey, this is Mark Asquith, the host of the 7-Minute Mentor podcast, global entrepreneur and all-round geek, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. I am MC Lobsher, the Cashflow Ninja, and you're listening to Before the Millions podcast. You're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent, you've come to the right place. Mr. Hollywood himself presents the Before the Millions podcast. And now your host, DeRay Olalaye. What is going on, good people? Welcome to a brand new installment of the Before the Millions podcast. And let's just go ahead and get down to it. On today's episode, we are featuring Mr. Danny Johnson. Danny is the founder of a CRM called Forefront, but is also an investor. And he's been investing since 2003. He's done close to 1,000 deals. And on today's show, we're going to talk a whole lot about Danny's journey, but then we're going to get into the crux of his marketing, right? We're going to talk about how he's marketing to sellers. Danny started out marketing to all the properties that you would see when you go to Zillow.com or Redfin.com or you know Realtor.com. He would market to all those properties, right? Those front-facing properties, the properties that currently in today's market, you know, they're getting five, 10, 20 offers the day that they're listed. Right? Imagine marketing to those properties as a real estate investor, somebody who needs to buy properties at a deep discount. You're marketing to people who have properties that, that are getting 10, 20 offers in a day that are, that's 5, 10, 15, 20, 30K over asking. How in the world are you supposed to make any money? How in the world are you supposed to actually have a business that feeds your family? It's insane. Well, Danny was marketing that way when he first started out in 2003. So you could just imagine that, yes, you may be able to find deals on what we call the MLS, but they're going to be few and far between, depending on the market cycle that you're in. So he quickly realized that he needed to start marketing directly to sellers, which if you're a longtime listener of the show, you know you market directly to sellers, right? I mean, I have a course. It's called the Motivated Seller Method. It's called the Motivated Seller Method for a reason. So when Danny started marketing directly to sellers, his entire business changed, we're going to talk about some of, it, some of his marketing tactics. We're going to talk about driving for dollars. How important, even in today's market, it is to still drive for dollars. We're going to talk about SEO marketing, which is search engine optimization. We've had whole episodes on search engine optimization. But in this particular episode, we're talking about how Danny is using SEO in his business as his primary marketing tool. Just as a quick refresher, when you advertise online, there's two primary ways to you either run ads, which there's a wide rod of ads, but let's just stick to search engine ads, right? You either run ads 
so that whenever somebody types in sell my home quick in Houston, Texas, your website comes up first or one of the first results, right? Under 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 the paid results, right? Under the sponsored results. Or instead of running ads, you can build up the SEO, the search engine optimization on and off of your website so that your site ranks in Google and all the other search engines as a quality site so that whenever somebody searches sell my house fast in Houston, Texas, right below the paid ads, right? Where you see the organic search where we normally just shift our eyes to because we don't want to see the paid ads anyway when we're searching for stuff, right below there, you want your business to show as one of the first ones that pop up. At least on the first page, you know you're doing well. So that's what SEO is. So in your particular area, if you can get your your business to show up on the first page of Google when somebody searches for certain keywords, then you're what's called optimized, right? For search engines. Again, that's why it's called SEO, search engine optimization. So this is more of a long-term play for many real estate investors because this type of optimization doesn't happen overnight. You need to gain to Google's eyes, what's called authority, right? So you need to have notable mentions, right? You need to have other websites that are talking about your website or that are linking to your website, right? You need to have quality content on your sites. They take so many things into account. Nobody really knows exactly what they take into account, right? It's a big mystery, but we, we have a very, very good idea of what they take into account and how it's measured and how it's weighted that there are professionals out there who can help you get on the first page of Google for certain search terms. So for some of you guys, that whole conversation just went over your head, but hopefully for the majority of you guys, you understood that so that going into this conversation with Danny, it'll resonate a little bit more with you. So again, we talk about driving for dollars. We talk about search engine optimization. Then we talk about the back end of things, right? You're getting all these leads from these different sources, whether it's for driving for dollars or texting or SEO. And you're like, all right, well, where do I house these leads? What do I do with these leads? And what's, what are most investors doing wrong? We talk about that as well in today's episode. So what I'm saying is strap in. It's going to be a very knowledge packed episode and a very tangible episode so that you can go and take these key lessons that we're teaching on this episode and go and implement them in your real estate investing journey. Now, with that being said, let's mosey on over to the tip of the week. DeRay's tip of the week. Real estate is a team sport. You cannot do it alone. It's impossible to do it alone. Well, actually, it's impossible to succeed alone. You can do it alone all day long, but it's impossible 100% impossible to succeed alone. The real estate game is the relationship game. And the quicker we begin to understand and incorporate that in our business, the quicker we will find the success that we're looking for. The number of problems solved, the number of deals done, the amount of money to be made is going to be in direct proportion with your circle of influence, with the resources that you have at your disposal. I mean, you hear it from these apartment investors every single time they come on the show. What's the number one way that they get deals? Relationships with brokers. Every single one. There hasn't been a single one that has a different method of getting more deals done. It's just building relationships with brokers. And as an investor, you need a relationship with many different types of people 
to help you execute whatever plan that you do have. And I don't like transactional relationships, right? Because when it's a transactional relationship, it's all about the numbers, the dollars, and cents. So there's no room for, okay, if you can give me this, I can give you that. There's no room for give or take. There's no room for really negotiating based off other merits. But when you create a relationship, a a real relationship, right? Not just a, hey, I just met you at a conference. Here's my business card. Let's be partners. I mean, like, hey, I know your family. I know I've met your wife before and your kids. You know, we played softball or whatever this past weekend and it was amazing or you know we went out to lunch invest in these relationships some of you guys have seen some of my instagram posts where i'm investing in relationships with my title companies with my realtors with my contractors heck me and an investor went out for lunch the other day i spent 70 bucks on lunch and didn't expect anything in return But I know that that's an investment in our future and just relationship building. I don't know where that can lead us. The crazy thing about it is the next weekend I needed his help finding a new cleaning crew and he delivered on the spot. Now, obviously, it's not because we went to lunch and I paid for lunch, but we were building a relationship. And the more relationships you build the easier and better it is to build other relationships. It it, it stacks on top of itself. So now his connections are my connections. And same thing with mentors. When you have mentors in your life, in your circle, their connections become your connections. I can't tell you how many times I've needed to put out signs and I was out of town. I can't tell you how many times I've needed to show a property and I was already showing a property halfway across town. But with relationships, any and everything is possible. Without relationships, hey, it may still be possible, but you have to exert a lot more money, right? You got to spend a lot, right? Because you got to pay people. Again, when it comes down to dollars and cents, you got to pay people to get things done. So build these relationships with the people in your network, the people in your sphere, the people that can really be a resource for you. Strategically build these relationships and don't make it all about business, right? Like I said, I mean, attend events with each other. Participate in, I don't know, secret Santas with each other, like figure things out. I mean, heck, one of my favorite pastimes at at this point in my life is fantasy football. Better believe I'm inviting key people to join the league with me so that we can just have some type of bond in something other than business. Right. We can have conversations surrounding something that that we're maybe passionate about other than business. And that deepens relationships. Let's get off of this online and surface level mentality and get back into building these real quality relationships with people that are going to take our business further faster. Again, real estate is a relationship business. Let's get to the show. And now your feature presentation. You know, when I was little, my dad had a lot of different businesses he started and and failed at. And uh, I remember, you know, one of them was uh, like a produce stand, like a store that sold produce and flowers and stuff like that. And I remember, you know, the money was tight and I knew it even as a kid. 
And I remember <clears throat> he had this, this big tent out front. I was like, dad, why do you have a big tent out front of the store? He's like, well, it's to bring traffic and bring, bring people in. And I was thinking, well, how much does that cost? He said, said something like 500 bucks, you know, to rent it. And um, I, I remember being confused by that. Just thinking like, well, if money's short, what are you doing spending $500 on that? Right? Like, <laughs> like how does that make any sense at all? And, and uh, you know, to my younger mind, it didn't, didn't make a whole lot of sense for me. And I was, I was kind of wondering about that. But I think as I got older, I got to see, you know, obviously, you know, sometimes it takes an investment of, of money and time into something to make something work uh, and, and having faith. And I think maybe that was the bigger piece, right? Is that faith piece, right? Having, but, but that didn't work out for him anyway, <laughs> over time, enough time at least. And so, you know, things were, things were pretty rough growing up. And, uh, you know, for a time there, he was a, a contractor, you know, doing work on houses and ended up working and doing a lot of houses for a real estate investor here in San Antonio. And, uh, and that was for a, a certain amount of time. And then he started having back trouble. So he started driving a truck. And this is about when I was in college, I went to college and, and got a degree in computer science. I was like, I'm going to get a good paying job. I'm going to, I'm not going to go through this stuff. And, uh, and these money struggles that, that we did growing up. And so I, I became a software developer and this was right around 2000. So it was like the boom, everybody, all this stuff it was all about internet. It was all about everything. So it was perfect timing. And I went to, to work for a defense contractor and I was working in what's called a skiff, which is basically like a vault. Like it's all top secret stuff and all that, but it wasn't really truly that interesting. And, but there was no natural light or anything in there because it was in the middle of this building. And so I was kind of doing the same stuff day in, day out and kind of miserable. I was like, this, this is very interesting. Like I'm, I'm able to do the work, but it's not really firing me up. And at the time, my dad had started actually flipping houses. He he went to you know the guy that he was doing work for in the past and asked him if he could teach him how he did what he did. And so they did, they started working together and, uh, you know, he started buying houses. And so every time I started talking, talking to him about that time, he was so thrilled, like everything, his outlook on life was just completely different. He was just completely, uh, into this whole house buying thing. and was, you know, got his freedom. He started traveling, having the ability to travel, had time for himself, all that kind of stuff. And I was, I was like, why couldn't have this happened while we were still kids? You know what I mean? But, but anyway, it didn't happen. But, but I got to see that and I got to see that excitement and uh, just thinking about him driving around doing deals. And it seemed to me like adventure, right? While I'm stuck at work at the office. So I was like, I want to do that too. I, I need to do that. Like, I just feel it's calling. I got to do it. And maybe it's like that call to entrepreneurialism too. Is that even the word, right? But he, he, um, you know, so that, that call, that calling was there. And so I started learning about how to do it, um, about getting into the business. And I, I kind of expected him at first to, to walk me through it. Like, how do I find my deal? Like, how do I find a deal? All that kind of stuff. But he wasn't, he wasn't doing that. He's, he's like, what? I'm busy doing my stuff. You, you can go and you can learn this stuff. You can learn all this when you have, a situation come up or a specific question you can't find an oh, he, answer he's to. trying to mr miyagi you <laughs> right yeah yeah and i'm glad he did because we you know i i was going my own route i was going my own way and figuring out my own thing he, he's doing small towns outside of san antonio and i was in san antonio proper 
And um, so it's a little bit different market and different strategies and stuff like that. Um, and, and spent three years part-time in the business. And it took me, I think, nine months to get that first deal. It took me nine months. And I remember being frustrated and thinking things like, well, it works for him because he's out in the small town and I'm in San Antonio. There's too much competition here. Like all those kinds of doubts and things that I think a lot of new people struggle with. You know, they hear about people doing deals, but they think something must be different about their circumstances or mm. situation. And, you know, you start thinking, well, I can't find a deal. I, I'm not going to be able to do a deal. And, uh, and this is interesting because I already saw that he could do it, right? I knew it was possible. I knew that people were selling properties for, for less than market value. And I saw that people were doing it. But I, I also was like super afraid of contacting and doing marketing and contacting people wanting to sell their house because I didn't know that much about real estate. I was like, what am I going to, how am I going to go into somebody's house and, and make them an offer, right? It's just, it seemed crazy to me. And so I started with, let me know if this is going too long, too. No, I no, no, Danny, I'm eating this up, and I'm sure our listeners are like, yes, keep going, keep going. Okay. So, you know, I went to the easy route, right? The comfortable, the more comfortable route is still kind of scary, but I was looking at properties on the MLS. I was looking for fixer-uppers. I was like, this is comfortable with me. I can get online, and I can look at these properties that are that are listed on the market, right, and try to find one and go make an offer to an agent, never have to speak to the owner, and, and all that kind of stuff. And man, that burned me out. That just burned me out because market was getting pretty hot back then. This was 2003, 2004 or five. Market was really heating up. A lot of people were buying and a lot of people were buying off MLS. And um, and so I got sick and tired of spending full days looking at 10 properties and making an offer on them and being told multiple offer situation, highest, highest and best, you know, give us your highest and best offer. And I'm trying to buy cheap. <laughs> I was trying to buy, you know, that was my whole thing. I got to buy super cheap. That way I feel comfortable with it, right? There's no way I could lose and uh, and make a mistake. Even if I made a mistake rehabbing, there was plenty of room to to be okay and still make money. So, so the first nine months, and and this is what this is what your process is, Danny. Like every day, you're you're going to the MLS. You're going to maybe. Redfin or Zillow, or maybe you have access with with the realtor and you're using, you know, their MLS software, whatever, but you're going and you're scouring properties that are on market right. and you're continually seeing that, hey, you know, highest and best offers are, are what these realtors are asking for you to put in because, again, other people are making offers and you're trying to find value where there may not be a whole lot of value. When did things and maybe you you actually you know, you are, if you do something long enough, you'll find success. So maybe you did it long enough to where you found success, or maybe you pivoted and you found a different type of list or a different type of motivation, or you went after your real estate in a different way. What, what happened in those first nine months that, that led you to get, start to get deals? Yeah. So I had to, I had to start marketing to directly to homeowners and I was scared to death to do it, but I, I started putting up bandit signs and uh, I started sending out postcards to, I would drive for dollars. I would drive around, look for vacant looking properties. And then tell, look at t- the tell us really quick, Danny, what's the importance of marketing directly to homeowners as opposed to marketing to people who have their property listed on the MLS? Well, the importance is that, the, you know, there's less competition and, you know, speaking directly to the seller, a lot of times when you when you have that situation, if you 
if you handle it properly, if they like you better, even if you're not offering as much, they can they'll sell to you and they'll be happy to do it. I tell people that all the time. <laughs> yeah. And and it's a, it's a mindset shift too because a lot of times we put ourselves in their shoes and try to imagine, you know, and think, well, why would I ever want to sell my house for, you know, less if I could get more for it in a different way? And it's you're just not in that position. You're not, you know, looking at it the same way. A lot of times it's really about wanting to to work with somebody that they feel like they can trust, mm-hmm. you know, and, and all that. And, kind and of that stuff. understands and then, them and their situation. Absolutely. Right. Because that's yeah. really what they're trying to do is just get out of their situation. And they know they're not stupid. They know that they're selling it a lot of times. They might be able to make a little bit more, but they're going to have to put in more work to do that. And a lot of people don't want to do that. Right. So did your did your dad um, kind of nudge you in the right direction after he saw you struggling for a couple months? Or did you kind of figure out, hey, maybe I should actually just start talking to these sellers myself? Like, how did you come to that conclusion? Yeah, he was he was doing well, I think he was buying a lot off the MLS, too, though. So I don't know. I think it was it was probably a little bit of both, you know, just like, hey, I'll try this and see what happens. And I'm telling you, when you get those first calls where somebody's like, hey, I need to get rid of this. I want to sell this thing like it. It fired me up. I was like, oh, man, this is beautiful because it's no longer just look and have to be first finding because that's what stunk about MLS, right? You could be scouring that thing day and night. And as soon as that listing came up, see it and go look at it, make an offer right away, only to be told that, you know, they're waiting two days or something before they look at offers. And it's like, dude, why am I even killing myself trying to be the first person here? This is ridiculous. Right. You know, and today with technology too, and, and, you know, getting notifications on that stuff, everybody knows when something's like gets listed, that's priced awesome. Um, so anyway, the, and, and so it opened up this whole creative side of, of uh, the business and how can I figure out how to get in touch with people that have real estate that are in a situation that they would want to sell the property? I love it. When you started uh, going after the sellers, how did you how did you start it? Since it's not the MLS anymore, what did you what type of list did you start attacking? How did you start contacting them? So uh, again, the the marketing mechanism that you're using to contact them, but also which people, what lists are you marketing to? Yeah. So in the the early days, it was like bandit signs. I love bandit signs. Obviously, they're they're not legal in most places, mm-hmm. so you have to you know at your own risk. Just kind of like speeding, you choose to speed even though it's illegal you know, what, you know, whatever, like it's the caveat, like you could get in a lot of trouble and pay a lot of money for, for doing it. But bandit signs, man, I, they're just awesome. And then, um, you know, those are the signs on telephone poles for the people that don't know that say like we buy houses and stuff like that. Um, and then driving for dollars, I absolutely love driving for dollars and that's driving different areas and looking for vacant or vacant looking homes, homes in major disrespe- disrepair, and then looking up that address on the tax assessor's website to find out where the tax bill goes, because that's usually who owns it, and sending them a letter. Why is driving for dollars important? Um, you know, you can think of, the, like you said, we live in an internet age where things are posted online very, very fast. These lists are being, you know, updated dynamically with a lot of the softwares that we're using. Why, why do you think in today's day and age, driving for dollars is still very important? Oh, there's so many reasons why it's so good. Like for one thing, those people might not be on a list. Somehow something could happen. They're just don't end up on one of those lists. Number two is like, you're seeing that, that thing firsthand. You're seeing that property and, and seeing the areas. See, I, I had never been to probably 80% of the different places I, I went to, to drive around these neighborhoods ever in my life. 
And so it's so cool to explore your own city and like have a reason to be driving down every single street. And it's really cool, man. There's so many yeah. different cool places with cool architecture and all different kinds of stuff. And, uh, you know, your opinion of, of, a, of a rough neighborhood changes, I think. I mean, mine, it did. Like I, you know, I grew up in some, some places that would be considered a little bit rough. Uh, but, you know, like going through and you, you see what a true war zone kind of area is like versus, you know, an area that's just working class. And, you know, that sweet spot of the, the you know, blue collar working class areas uh, for the houses that I was looking for, you know, how many of those existed and, and how nice they really were. And, uh, you know, to find great deals, because you don't want to drive an area where, you know, all the houses are, are fixed up and lived in, you want to drive an area where, you know, on every street, maybe there's one or two that are, that are, are vacant or look vacant, not, mm. not like five in a row. That's kind of like war zone territory that Absolutely. are boarded up. But, um, but, but just finding those and, and while you're doing that, you get a feel for, you know, what's going on, right? Because the neighborhood that's got a lot of roll offs and people are doing work on those houses and flipping them. That's, that's a strong area. People are doing it there and improving the neighborhood. And, uh, and that's a good place because if you're going to get into it and you want to be able to wholesale a deal that gives you that option to do it because there's other investors flipping houses over there. You can sell, if you pick up a deal, put a house under contract, in an area where other investors are already flipping houses, like you have buyers right there, right? right? You can Easily. sell that deal straight to them if you want to. Yeah. So, so earlier on, Danny, you were, you were an engineer and you start, you saw that your dad ha started having success in real estate. So you wanted to jump in how to walk me through again, those first nine months were very, very pivotal for you because you realized like, man, I gotta, I gotta like stick this through because this is not, this hasn't worked out so far. Walk me through the plan and how the plan unfolded from you being a full-time engineer to you being a full-time real estate investor. Yeah, there was no plan. <laughs> it was just like, <laughs> It was just like, have fun. It, it was kind of a hobby. And uh, I'll, I'll elaborate that on a little bit longer because that was kind of like a hobby for eight or nine years, honestly, the real estate investing. Um, although I did go full time after two and a half or three years. Um, okay. And I'm saying it's still kind of a hobby after that. And I want to talk more about that, but because that's a whole nother level mindset shift that right. had to take place. But um, th that three years of, of getting that first deal, and I think there's something that happens after you get that first deal, because then all of a sudden, like you had faith that you can do it and you know, then that you can do it because you did it already. Right. Like, and, and deals start coming faster and faster. Like something about just knowing that you're going to get another deal is going to make another deal come to you faster. Mm -hmm. It's interesting how that works. And there's periods of time where I went and, and had like a dry spell two or three months with no deal. And I almost always had to come, like I started realizing that I was having these thoughts of things have changed or I'm not going to be able to get a deal or it's hard to get a deal. And it's like, why am I sitting here talking like this? I've gotten deals for years and years and years. Why am I thinking all of a sudden that things changed? Mm. You know, this, this, the mm. mind gets in weird places. And as soon as I said, you know what, I'm going to stop thinking like that. I'm going to get another deal. The deals are going to start coming. And then they do. I mean, it's a, it's an interesting thing that even if you're an experienced investor, I encourage you if to, to look at how you're thinking. Because if you're having a dry spell, maybe consider what your mindset has become like. If you're starting to get negative about the whole thing, try to turn that around and look at it in a positive light and, and have deals start coming to you. But I was part-time for, for two and a half, three years. I actually was to the point where I think I was maybe doing like six, between six and eight deals a year 
maybe a little bit more, 10 or so at the end of that second year. Excuse me. And um, I had to get fired from my job to quit. Happened to me. <laughs> I had to get fired. I couldn't quit. I just like that steady paycheck. I was like, well, I got everything covered with my paycheck. All this other stuff is just fun, right? I don't, if if I don't make much money, it doesn't matter. I'm not needing to live off of it. So it provided that whole security blanket, right? And so I had to get fired. Um, when I found out that they were going to be letting me go, they didn't just let me go right away. They they let me know that they were, my manager came to me and said, hey, look, they're, they're thinking about letting you go, but I'm going to fight for you. And I was like, no, don't. <laughs> I need this. I need, I'm losing money by still being here. I got to go. I got to do this thing full time. So the beautiful thing though about spending that much time in it part-time was that it forced me to focus on what things are really moving the needle in the business, like getting these deals, right? Because I, like I don't have much time, right? And, and I think you need that. I think if you jump in and say, well, I'll figure it out. I'm going to quit my job. So I have time to do investing, but you haven't done it yet. You're going to waste time doing all kinds of stupid things, just feeling like you're doing something, right? But when yeah. you you know, don't have that stress because you have your job. It's beautiful. It's not so bad. Like you, and then you can say, well, I got this much amount of time. What can I do right now? in the, the one hour that I do have to try to get a deal like that helps you really see the 80, 20 and it makes you a much more inv uh, efficient investor. Cause when I went full time, I didn't know what to do with myself. I did start wasting time because I felt like I needed to be busy, and so I was doing stupid stuff. You, you, you know, forget I, you for, you forget how how much the structure really does help. Yeah, I was yeah. like, I'm gonna redesign my business card. How is that gonna help me get a deal? Right? <laughs> I want to start doing stuff like leaving business cards on fuel pumps. It's like that's like, eh. There's higher leverage activities to get deals than just shotgun and throwing trash everywhere, right? And hoping somebody sees it. Um, and so that was, that was important. So, um, I don't know if I answered your question though. I mean, I, I think I did. Right. Absolutely. So, so again, the next few years you were working about two or three years while you were an investor and then your job fired you. Um, and then after your job fired you, you, you sound like you, you, you started just doing a ton of different things to fill in that time, thinking that these were more productive activities. And over time, you realized that these activities weren't really bringing you the return that you wanted. Um, and even circling back when you when you know, you know, when you're first starting and, you know, you said you were driving for dollars. Like if I just took you to the center smack dab in the middle of San Antonio and I spend you around 360 about 20 times. And now you're dizzy. How do you know, Danny, what neighborhood to start driving for dollars in? Like, how does that work? Yeah. You just start going, <laughs> you just start driving and exploring them. I mean, you can, I think maybe one thing that I did do is I looked at, you know, nowadays you can do it on realtor.com and stuff, but I was looking at the MLS and I was looking at, okay, where are, you know, all these REOs, you know, the, the bank owned properties for sale and the fixer uppers that people are buying cash, you know, where, where are those areas? And uh, it's a little bit easier to do with MLS. You can get an agent to help you find this out. But what, where are the properties being bought cash that, that are in the certain price range, you know, a lower price range, not a high one. And, um, and then finding the areas that way. And so that, that's kind of how I was doing it. But also at that point, after, after making a lot of MLS offers and kind of seeing that there, there's, there tends to be just certain areas of town that become obvious as to like where the sweet spot is, where you can buy something, and and fix it up and make a you know a good good amount of money on absolutely so 
again, you, you started investing in 2003 and you were doing maybe six to 10 deals a month for the first few years. When did things really start to ramp up? Because, you know, it, it, it's crazy that at this point you've closed over a thousand deals. And again, early, earlier on, you were, you were doing about 10 deals a year. So how did things really start to change? When did things really start to ramp up for you? Was it right immediately when you hit that three-year mark and you were full-time now, or was it a little bit later on? Yeah. So when went full time, it started to pick up quite a bit, you know, after I figured out that I was like needed to do more of what was working instead of trying a bunch of other different things. I think things really took off a little bit whenever I got to the point where I leveraged um, marketing that really made it a little bit easier for me to get those deals without having to do a ton of work to do it. And that that's mainly online. So when I finally built a website and and worked to get that ranked through search engine optimization, you know, I started getting a good number of leads and uh, was able to start doing a lot more deals. And that was, that was a pivotal moment that was really made it because then it was like, I no longer have to really spend all this time stuffing envelopes and sending all these letters out and driving for dollars and, and all that kind of thing. So, I want to interject that everybody's different. Everybody's process is different and everybody's scales very different. But for you, it was SEO. And again, I mean, just thinking about that, how did you and is it what you did? Is it replicable today in 2021? I mean, how did you start to hone in and focus on SEO? Did you hire somebody to go in and start, you know, creating articles on your website and put it in keywords? Like, how did that process begin? And there's two different types of SEO, right? There's on, on-site SEO and then there's off-site SEO. So what did you, how did you start to just delineate all of that? Again, being a real estate investor. Yeah. All the information is out there on the internet, right? I mean, it's just a matter of, I would just like would, would learn it. You know, I learned how to do that and I spent the days, you know, doing what marketing was already working for me and doing the deals that I was already doing in the evenings. I was, I was actually really interested in it. And that's what I said about like the creative part of finding people that that um, that would want to sell their house at a discount. And, and the, the approach and why I was super excited about the whole online thing was, was at that point, no longer am I looking for people. People are looking for me. All right. Right. If they're searching for something online <laughs> that relates to, you know, needing to sell a property fast or something, they already kind of know, they already know their problem, right? They already know. And then they, they likely know that there's people out there that buy houses and uh, you know, and then they're looking for me. And so it's just a whole nother level of motivated seller. I mean, it's a motivated seller that's actually trying to take action and solve the problem. And so you have less tire kickers and you, you just have all around better deals. And I think it is replicable, replicable today. I, I really do. I think that, you know, obviously more people are doing that and more people are online and there's, there's more competition, all that kind of stuff. But, but the key here is just determining what is the strategy that I'm going to use. Are you trying, and when you're doing, are you trying to rank in a, in a specific uh, county or a specific city or a state? How, how big does that extend to? Right. right. City, just the city. Just the city. Okay. And that's the other thing to, to understand too about SEO is, is like, you're not competing with every investor in the world or in the country you're in only competing with the ones in your city. I mean, and, and then maybe if there's some na- national nationwide ones that tend to try to also rank in your city or whatever, but still, I mean, that's, it's pretty local, you know, they, Google does a good job of, of the whole local thing. If somebody's local and their website's geared towards that city, 
it, it's a lot harder for some of the national people to rank uh, than it is for you to to be able to do it for the 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 city. But I mean, beyond that, like even beyond SEO and things like that, I think it's all of the the real estate investors that I know that have done really well in building consistency into their business because that's really where success comes from is getting consistency. And and that doesn't come from what's the hot marketing thing some I just learned about from somebody, you know, online YouTube or, or podcast or something. And I'm going to go do that. And then two months from now, I hear another one and I go and do that. And then two months from now, I go and do that new one. That's not, that's not where consistency comes from, right? It comes from, I know this works because I got into it and I tried it. I measured the results and I continued and I tweaked and I continued measuring and I continued improving. All the people I know that have been real consistent, had long-term success in this business, all did that. They all know one, two, or three different things that they've become experts at. Direct mail usually is one of them, right? Online could be another one. And then, you know, like, you know, if they do signs or something else like that, or radio ads or whatever it is, they have like their core one or two usually. And then sometimes a third one things that that's what they focus on. They measure, they know if they do this amount of, of uh, work in that, that they're going to get these results because they've always measured and improved on it. I think that brings up a good point. You know, a lot of marketing, you know, you think about guerrilla marketing, um, which is marketing, you marketing to people and you actually physically like maybe sending out text messages or calling people, right? Things that, you know, you have to go out and do outreach, right? And you think about maybe advertising marketing, you know, like Facebook ads, SEO, things like that, where you're getting people to come in. It's like you have the honey All right now, come into my atmosphere, come into my circle, right? And you start to think about, you know, cost per lead. And I actually want to talk about, um, I want to talk about leads per deal, because I know that's something that that you're really keen on is how many leads does it take you to get a deal? But before we get there, let's talk about cost per lead, right? As it pertains to guerrilla marketing or advertising marketing, oftentimes you see like a, a linear line going up, right? The more money you spend, the more deal, the more, the more leads come in, right? Um, and then with Facebook ads specifically or Google ads, right? There, there, there's a drop-off point, right? There's a point in which you can't spend any more money to get any more leads, or maybe it's cost prohibitive, right? But again, for the most part, most of our marketing sources, like the more money we spend, the more leads that we get. I feel like, and tell me if I'm wrong, because you're the expert on this. I feel like SEO is a little bit different, right? You, 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 you front load the amount of money you spend, you know, based on, you know, the, the people that you're hiring, the SEO that you're putting into your website. But, but is that, is that trailing off over time and you're getting more and more leads over time? Or is it, is it, is it linear? Is it straight? Or is it, is it still that you're spending more to make more, to get more leads? Talk to me yeah, a, it, a little it, bit more it's, about it's that. A, it's a longer term investment. And the tricky thing is hiring somebody that knows knows what they're doing because there's so much money to be made in doing SEO and everybody knows it takes time. So people can get money from somebody for six months and then not get results and the people leave and, you know, they made money, so they don't care. Like, I mean, it's, it's really, that's why I wanted to learn it myself. And I mean, honestly, I think that, uh, you know, anybody that's doing it really needs to want to do it themselves maybe first. So if they ever hire somebody, they already kind of know what needs to be done and know that Absolutely. those people are going to do it. I think that's probably the best way to do it because there's too many people promising the world in SEO and just not being able to deliver. Um, but anyway, so, but, but it's, it's also kind of beside the point because it's not just, you know, SEO. That's just one thing. If that's your interest, go for it. If it's not your interest, don't go for it because you're not going to probably be able to hire somebody 
you know, in, in your area or something that's going to really produce results for you anytime soon. But it's it's all about getting in there and looking at those numbers and, and tweaking it and staying away from this whole idea of, of uh, finding out what the hot new thing is. By the time it's a hot new thing, somebody had success with it. And then they're just like trying to sell training on it or something like that. And it ends up being this thing everybody's doing just because somebody else had some success. And at the end of the day, like there's tried and true methods, a handful of them that have worked for real estate investors over time. Pick one of those that resonates a little bit with you and then become an expert at it. I mean, that's that's what it just takes. I mean, that's that's the better way, the more time efficient way to do it because there's nothing, you might have luck with something the first time around. But a lot of times when you hear about having somebody having success with some way of getting leads and deals, a lot of times you're not hearing about what they fumbled through to get to that point. And when they tell you that this is what works, sometimes that worked for them based on some approach that they use and it may not work so well for you. And if you don't really know what things might need to be tweaked to really make it work for you, because you're not willing to do that, that's where you know, a lot of time and money is wasted. And I'm telling you, like in the beginning of this business, nothing scarier than putting $2,000 into a marketing campaign and getting one call from an angry person <laughs> telling you to take them off your list and then thinking I'm, I'm going to do that again, right? Because it feels like you just two, threw $2,000 into a black hole you never see again. And then you're going to want to do that again? No, it's scary as hell, right? And so having... <laughs> like having some some way to uh to ease in but you you have to give it time like anything that you choose you just kind of have to look at there's a certain amount of money here that I have to be willing to say goodbye to because I need to learn what works in this and uh and I think anybody that that puts 500 bucks out loses it doesn't get a deal and then bails I call it, I call that an expense I call that but if you don't bail I call that investing yeah. So, but so again, smart, right? when you, when you think about again, that, 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 that line, are you with SEO, is it more linear? Like you're spending the same amount every month and you're seeing a positive regression of your, your leads or your deal flow go up, or is it proportionate to the amount of deals that you're getting? Like the, the, the money you're spending on SEO every, every month. Yeah. So the, I mean, if you've got somebody hired, it's, it's like, it's going to be the same amount of money that you're spending every month. And really what you're looking for is, um, certain keywords that produce deals and, uh, you know, stuff like, you know, we buy houses, San Antonio, sell house fast, San Antonio, cash for houses, San Antonio, all those kind of keywords. It's like the, you know, somebody's motivated. And so what, what you're doing with that to, cause you're not going to see the leads start right away at all. Like it's going to take time and what you're going to need is, is like a keyword tracking tool something like AREFs, um, SEM rush. Yeah. Things like that, where you can put in those keywords and you can see where your site's ranking for those keywords. And you want to see that ranking move up and up and up. And those are competitive keywords, right? So, I mean, there's so many things that this can go down into, but content marketing is a big thing. And if you have, that was my next content, question. What, what, what's the, what are the, if you were to name the top three things that your SEO consultant is doing, what are they doing? Are they content marketing? Are they creating articles? Like what, what are those top three things? Yeah. So creating, creating content, creating articles that are focused on local, right. Focused on your city. 
that are focused on things that that people are motivated about so it's like you know what are eviction laws in san antonio or something like that like you know that person might have a tenant they're trying to get out and they might not be a landlord you know they just became an accidental landlord or something and are they um are they um are they posting these articles just on your site or are they trying to post these articles on other real estate related sites so that you can have some backlinks referring back to your site right all those things yeah so then backlinks um and that's a big one. It's got to be quality relevant sites. And so, yeah, doing things that way has a good way to, to do it. Those are the things that they should be focused on the, the content marketing. Um, and, and there's, there's strategies involved with all of it. Like you want interlinking between your articles. What does that mean? That I know what it that, means, but what does it mean for our yeah, audience? Yeah. If, if you, so if you've got like, you don't want to just write one article on probate in your area. You want to write 10 different ones based on like different questions revolving regarding that thing. And each of those links together in different ways so that you're linking all this relevant content. That's all like becomes this big, like probate block of content, right? But a bunch of different articles and stuff like that. And then sharing those on social media getting different backlinks from different places for those things. And over time, the beauty of all that stuff is if you get enough of, of the content going and you have those keyword tracking tools, you start to see, you know, that I think at one point my site was ranking for like 8,000 keywords or something. Because wow. it just gets, it gets into this, this whole thing where even stuff that you didn't plan on ranking for, you just end up ranking for. And so none of those keywords generates a whole lot of targeted traffic, right? But combined all of them together becomes a good amount of traffic. I love it. I love it. I think we've, uh, we've covered SEO in detail. Yeah. We've covered driving for dollars in detail. We have one last uh, little, little thing that we want to cover before we get to our last and final round. I want to talk about the process of acquiring leads and how you think about your lead conversions, right? Um, you know, oftentimes it's said that, Hey, one out of every 40 leads turn into a deal. And I think I saw somewhere for you guys, it's one out of every five leads. I'm just like, Whoa, what's going on? How are we doing this? So just walk me through first and foremost, the general overall concept of looking at your leads and making sure that you have a numeric value as to when a deal should happen. Yeah. And this gets into, again, like building your company as a true company that looks at and measures what's going on in your company. And this goes back into what I was saying about as far as like this being a hobby for eight or nine years because I wasn't doing that. All I was doing was saying, I, I want more deals. So I'm going to do more marketing. Hmm. That was it. I'm going to try different things. I'm going to pour mon- more money into this. It was all about, I don't have enough deals. So I'm just going to put more money into marketing and get more leads. And uh, that, that actually is actually shown in, in my book, Flipping Houses Exposed. So, cause I documented 34 weeks of my business back then. And I generated 495 motivated seller leads. This is where people were saying, hey, I want to sell my house. And 495 leads in those 34 weeks. But I only bought, I think, 11 or 13 of those, Mm. which sucks. It's like one out of 45 leads became a deal. And it was because I was doing that. I was just like more more marketing, more marketing. and, uh, And then I'll get these deals. And because I was still doing everything in my business and I wasn't measuring everything. I was only measuring like my cost per lead and stuff like that. And so the transition from that to where our company got to where we're doing one out of every five, one out of every seven 
was really looking at what was happening with each of those leads because that's when the efficiencies, if you visualize it as a funnel, right? Like you're, each campaign that you're doing is going to produce so many leads in a given amount of time. What happens after that lead comes into your world, right? Is there a good percentage of those that you're never even getting in touch with because you mm. missed the call? Mm. You got the web lead, you got the email, but you never were able to get a hold of them. Um, did you set an appointment, but they didn't show or you didn't show or, or whatever? Did you make an offer on all of them? Did you follow up with them after you made an offer? All of these things go into it. And that's, that's where it wasn't necessarily the lead sources that changed to go from one out of every 45 leads to being a deal. It was becoming more efficient. It was becoming more, it was looking at it. It was like, okay, this is a business. We got to get down into what's going on here. Like what, what is, how is, how are we handling every call that comes in? It was me back then doing all of it. So if I was busy, like trying to get something done, some task to get marketing out or something, and that call came in and I didn't want to get interrupted. So I would wait and then call them back like 30 minutes later. That sucks because if they were calling other investors, guess what? I'm, I'm likely not to get that deal. Yeah. You know, you know, you know, you know, you, you know, it's funny, Danny, there's, there's two, there's two kind of things that people, you know, often tend to go wrong with. They either do so much marketing to get that, that one deal and they get that deal and they're working on that deal for the next few months. And while they're working on that deal, they forget to market and, oh man, that deal is closed. And oh man, like I got to go back and figure out how to start marketing again. You got that problem. And then you got the problem with people who they, they have all this marketing. They're trying to figure out, all right, I need more leads. I need more leads. I want to get more deals done. Similar to you. I want to get more deals done. Meanwhile, the leads that you already have, you can get more deals done with those leads if you stop focusing on getting more leads and start right. nurturing the leads that you already have, which is what you kind of started to figure out how to do. And a lot of that comes with the CRM. A lot of that comes with a strong follow-up game. And it sounds like those are the things that you started to work into your business over time. What what did you start to do to really implement the best follow-up system? Yeah. And so that that's... that's uh you know, where, where even, even if you're not at a higher level in the business and you're still, you're, you, the leads are kind of a trickle. I think sometimes people think, well, I need to be able to get more before I start worrying about other parts of the business. But I don't think that that's true. I think you, you make more headway in this business if you look at it as a business from the get-go, right? Don't, don't think that you need to have some certain level of business to start looking at it that way. I think that's where I, I could have done much more, much faster had I done that at an earlier stage instead of trying to treat it like a hobby. And it is tempting to say, if I treat this like a hobby, I'll have fun with it. But if I get too serious about it, then I'm not going to have fun. And that's ridiculous. It just ends up being more work. And it's, it's a weird mindset thing again. But as far as getting like going from getting those leads and starting to improve all those processes, Number one, I had to stop doing everything myself. I had mm. to let go and, and Amen hire to that. somebody. <laughs> I had to hire somebody. I didn't want to do it forever. I felt like it was going to change my enjoyment. And that's why I said that just now. I thought that was going to change how I enjoyed the business by having responsibility of having employees. But it's like, man, it just like freed up so much of my time doing that. And calls were being answered because that was somebody's job. Mm. Appointments could be gone on as soon as possible because that was all they were having to do. They could yeah. go sit on that couch, sometimes crusty couches that smell bad, but sit on that couch 
and spend the two hours building rapport with somebody, right? Because they didn't have to go and get the marketing out afterwards. They didn't have to answer those calls that came in while they were on the appointment that they couldn't answer because they were on an appointment. All that stuff creates big efficiency. But then the follow-up was the biggest thing. And I know every, you know, if you've been listening to podcasts or, or reading anything for any length of time, so many people will say it fortunes in the follow-up, right? But then why do so many investors, experienced investors not do it? And I, I had pull, a good I want to pull my hair out. <laughs> yeah. I had a good opportunity to find out too, because I was curious. I was like, why the heck do people not do this when they even know that like, you know, you can get 50%, 60, 70, even 80% more deals done with the follow-up because most of the time the people aren't going to sell to you when you make the offer. It just doesn't happen most of the time. Mm-hmm. It's going to, it takes, you know, a follow-up. Sometimes they'll sell after you call them the next day or something. But if you keep following up, you get more and more deals. Um, and I had a good opportunity to find out why people weren't doing it though. because with, uh, so I, I, I own, I created Forefront CRM for real estate investors And we have calls every two weeks with our customers because we want to get input. We want to talk to them, find out where people are struggling, have everybody help everybody out, right? Improve their businesses. And I asked the people that were on the call, who's using the automated follow-up? I assumed everybody was. Hmm. Half were, half were not. And it was funny because the ones (laughs) that were, were getting onto the ones that weren't. They were like, what the hell are you guys thinking? What are you guys doing? Like you guys are missing out on deals. Like we're getting deals from the follow-up that's happening. And, um, and most of that being automated, right? Like texts that are going out, emails that are going out. And, uh, and so we, we got a good opportunity to ask those that weren't, why are you not doing it? You already know. So we don't need to try to convince you, but why are you not doing it? And they told Almost all of them said because we felt like it was it would be salesy or pushy. Really? Yeah. Wow. Either that or their team felt that way. And so it was like that they were worried they were going to piss people off. Oh my goodness. I, this is Danny, this is what drives me. I'm just like you spend hundreds of dollars on your list every month. Like this is your investment. The list is your investment. You don't and a lot of investors do this. You, you take that list and you work it once and you're like, okay, well, I got all the leads out of there I can get. No, it, it, that first time around, you may get a deal out of that list. Yeah. But, but if you work that list for the next six months, you may get four deals out of that same list. Yeah. And again, you, you'd be, I mean, you wouldn't be surprised, but the listeners, you'd be surprised at how many people I talk to, how many sellers I talk to that they've talked to investors time and time again. And the investor just goes ghost. The investor doesn't respond. They never yeah. call them back. They never send the offer that they said they were going to send. I mean, this is literally happening. And, um, you know, I take a whole lot of courses. And one of the courses I took, I think it was, um, I think it was Joe McCall's course. And, you know, one thing he always told, uh, told, told everybody who ever took his course was the follow-up happens in spite of you, not because of you. Right. Mm-hmm. I remember when I, when I, ne- like, first off, I know that when I, when I talk to people and they don't follow up, it's oftentimes because, oh, they forgot. Oh, they set that reminder, but even the reminder doesn't, you know, they look at a reminder, they ignore it. Right. But if you automate that process, which is what we have in place, we have automated text messages and emails. All that is automated for at least six months. If mm-hmm. you automate that process, now the follow up again happens in spite of you, not because of you. But again, similar to what you did with SEO, you have to front load that work. Right. Mm-hmm. I had one of my students the other day. She, uh, she, she, um, created her entire workflow. We use FreedomSoft. She created her entire workflow. It took her maybe an hour, hour and a half. She did it by herself. She made sure that she had all her follow-up assistance in place. At the end, she forgot to click save. And she was like, DeRay, 
I don't feel like doing this again. Oh, like what? I was like, you just have, I'm like, yes, I understand your pain. And I'm sorry that you had to do that. But you literally have to do this just, I mean, in your case, you have to do it twice. (laughs) But you got to do this just one time. And it is in your, it is the the whole thing and then save. That was interesting. But yeah, yeah, that, yeah, I mean, it's that important to do it though. I mean, we, um, I've bought deals before from people that I followed up with for eight years. Eight yeah. years. Wow. I mean, that was like wow. a call maybe once That's a it. year. <laughs> That's a lot. But, but guess who they called? Yep. Right. Whenever they when they finally decided they were going to sell, guess who they called? And so that that's what this is all about. Um, and that's why in, in our system in Forefront, we we made it to where at the end of a sequence that sends out these automated messages, you can have it do a bunch of different things. But I, I will tend to link multiple together so that I have several years of follow up happening. Because you never know. Because that's the whole thing here. If the, the people that were not doing it because they were worried about being salesy or pushy believe that they're saying, like, this this is the perception. Hey, sell me your house. Hmm. Why didn't you take our offer? Take our offer. But, uh, like, sell me your house. Sell me your house. Sell me your house. Sell me your house. That's not what it is. You send messages that just remind people that you're still interested, Right. And asking them, hey, did you ever do anything with the house? If if yes, awesome, you know, or whatever. But like just saying, like, I'm still here. I'm still interested. Like when I was making those calls to that person I bought after eight years, that's all I was doing was like, hey, how you doing? Hey, did you ever sell that house? Man, I, I drove by it the other day. It, it just stuff like that. And do you think somebody is going to take offense to that? No. And so what happens is because no one else is doing it because they're afraid they're being salesy and pushy. They're not doing it. So if you're the only person doing that, like six months from now, seven, eight months from now, nine months from now, when life has a way of increasing motivation for some people, who are they going to call? They're not going to remember your competitors because they only heard from them that one time. And a lot of times they're going to want to work with you because you did stay. They're like, wow, this guy really, they're they're professional, you know, and and they're probably going to pull through because they never stopped communicating with me. And they're not even, a lot of times, will not even bother contacting competitors at that point. They just want to work with you and that's it. Yeah. This may be a, a plug for your software or maybe may, it may not be. You may use some, <laughs> some other software for it. But how are you How are you cleaning your list? Like I imagine, again, as you're following up with more people every single month because you're acquiring new lists every single month, you're still following up with the people that you followed up with last month. And then when you're in two months, you're following up with the people that you had to follow up for the past two months. Like it goes on and on. Eight years in, I imagine that you're not following up with, you know, 500,000 people, you're cleaning those lists. So you're still following up with the people that, that are, you know, four, five, six, eight years in, but there are people that are follow, falling off that list that you're no longer following up with because their status and their situation has changed. How are you cleaning up those lists to be able to follow up with people yeah. for eight years and not have your expenses go through the roof? Yeah. Cause so, so the follow-up that, that happens is, is not, it's, it's not really costing anything because it's, it's basically text and, you know, having the team follow up with the task that gets created to call or an email going out. So text emails just go out. And so there's not really any cost in that. So if there's, there's like 10,000 over time being followed up with, and obviously over time, the messaging gets further and further out because you don't want to eight years every week text somebody. They're not going <laughs> to like that. Right? You, you just have to, it's got to space insane. out after a while. <laughs> yeah. It's got to really space out after a while. You don't ever like 
do that. That's why I have like a short-term one. And when that ends, it goes into a longer one where they're more spaced out and then a longer one just to, to be mindful of that. And so that, that it's not pushy. Um, what does the short-term one look like? So the short-term one is, is text, emails, and calls. And really the text and emails, I think the short-term one I have going out uh, at the same time, just because I don't know if sometimes people won't get the email or whatever, and but they'll get the text. And so if, if they were motivated, I'm, I'm like, like every day for the first two or three days and then skipping a day and then going on. But it's like questions like that, right? It's not the same question every time. And it's just like um, doing that. And that's, that's for about a week. And then it spreads out maybe three or four or five days. Um, cause if they're motivated, a lot of times they're going to sell to somebody. Right. And so just getting in there, even if you frustrate some people, the amount of people that you don't, that you end up getting the deals is kind of worth it. And then if somebody responds and just says, you know, they have a way to opt out, right. If they, they don't want those things or they could tell you like, Hey, please stop contacting me. You just take them out. You remove them. This episode is brought to you by PropStream. Oh, before PropStream. Before PropStream, I struggled with subpar list providers that overcharged, wasted gas going to the county courthouse only for them to run out of CD-ROM copies of this month's liens list. I wrongly estimated repair costs or just simply lacked the access to the MLS that I truly needed to get deals done. I mean, it was a nightmare networking with realtors hoping to get access to their software. To make things worse, I did marketing on a bunch of different platforms, all of which, by the way, came with the monthly costs. And I would grab my CD-ROM, I would head home, I would convert it, I would upload the list to a skip trace service, and then a ringless voicemail service, and then a postcard service, and so on. Wasting hours and missing potential deals. By the time I was finally in a position to talk to a seller, my leads were stale. And I had to start over again since I wasn't able to get real-time updates of properties that sold or were taken off the market. Lots of real estate investors are in this position and lots of real estate investors are losing. Last year, I specifically brought PropStream specialists in-house to revamp our lead generation systems, and it was instantly a game changer. Not only is PropStream one system that houses all my leads and is updated in real time, but this system has MLS-level data, even in non-disclosure states like Texas, where I invest. So now we run our own comps, our own rehab estimates, our own title searches, all of this in one app. Yes, one single app. And here's the kicker. That just scratches the surface of the power of this app. We also generate all of our leads lists with this app, from pre-foreclosures to bankruptcy and tax liens, by by county courthouse. And then once we have those dynamic lists, we can also use PropStream to market to those leads with postcards, email marketing, voice drops, and they even throw in unlimited number of landing pages so that you can have a site up and running in less than three minutes. Obviously, something like this should cost easily hundreds or thousands of dollars, but for less than a hundred dollars a month, you could own the most powerful real estate tool that I've probably ever seen. For the listeners of this show, make sure you head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash deal. That's D-E-A-L, beforethemillions.com forward slash deal for a few dollars off of your monthly subscription. I went from seven different apps to operate my business down to two once I made the switch to PropStream. And more than anything, really, it's provided me and my team with more clarity and peace of mind. That link again is beforethemillions.com forward slash deal to gain access to the all-in-one real estate tool that'll transform your business. 
Lifestyle Design Acceleration Hacks. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? Before the Millions book. Can you, can, what, what do you mean by that? You're saying like before, the, before. The book that most helped you book. before you found your success. I was like, how many books do you have, man? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the book that most helped Danny Johnson before he found his success. Before the success, I think you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I have to say, because it's like the whole mind, like, wow, this is a, this is a whole new world. I like it. I like it. You know, that's, that's mo- the most popular. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What is your favorite lifestyle design app? This can be a business app or tool. Well, mine, of course, but you know, besides that, um, I, I think uh, it'll have to be 90. It's 90.io. That's put out by the people that did uh, Traction, the, an entrepreneur operating system. Hmm. And that's basically taking the business from hobby to um, to business. That provides like that roadmap for that, like to, how to structure meetings, how to have KPIs, how to look at those KPIs week over week. And that software just helps you run those meetings and keep track of your like your vision of where you're going, what numbers you're shooting for, and then having the KPIs. And so it gives you a lot of structure to the business. And that's why I like that software. I like it. I like it. I didn't know Gino Wickman was also a software developer. That's awesome. Yeah, I don't know how it I, works. I don't know if it's a partner <laughs> or something, but yeah, I mean, yeah. it's put out by the same people, I think. That's cool. That's the first time I've ever heard of it. I'll definitely check it out. Next question. What do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? What I like most is it gives me the freedom to decide what I want to do every day. Um, and to be able to, to be creative and go in different routes. So, I mean, it's like the, the setting up that, that business in the past for, for the house flipping allowed me to get into the software side, to do that, my other passion and have both come together, right. To be able to provide software for real estate investors. And so that, that's been a huge thing of mine that I've been working on for years and as that's happened, you know, transition from having that real estate business because the the passion kind of like, you know, came to this side, the software side, uh, because of the creativity aspect of it. Like it was, you know, always new stuff that can be added. So innovation. So it's just fun. And and for the real estate, for me, it's moved into more of the um, uh, looking at long-term investment stuff like rental properties is where my interest is in real estate now. What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? Uh, the sacrifices were being willing to drop things to, to get the deals, to make them happen. And what I mean by that is my mentor even um, had, had said that one time, you know, I was taking my family over to his house for trick or treating. I think it even was. And, uh, he said, I, I don't even remember this, but he said, I called him and I, I told him I got a call for a hot deal. We're going to go check it out on our way over there. So we might be late. And uh, he was like, wow, that's like commitment. Cause most people would be like scheduling it for the next day or something or whatever. But I knew I had to go right away. I knew motivated seller, you know, and so being willing to, to sacrifice and do those things to get things going, I think is required. I like it. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? 
I think it had to be my dad, right. To be able to see his having success in something. And, uh, and just, you know, it, it kind of, it, it gave life to, to uh, rich dad, poor dad. I mean, it just like, it made it a real thing, like a reality thing for me. So and you saw, you got to see your dad be both rich dad, poor dads over your lifetime. That's right. Been, yeah, yeah. I never thought about that, man. Yeah, you're right. That's been pretty cool. Uh, has he, has he been able to celebrate with you and your success today? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Oh, he's like, man, you took what I started and you just, <laughs> that's awesome. He's Last still doing it though. He's still doing exactly what he did, but he's, he still goes on appointments. He's still, cause he loves it. It's all a game to him. He loves it. And so I've seen, you know, I, I ended up with friends that, that grew big businesses, multiple markets, all that stuff. They helped me to, to be, you know, see that it was important for me to get a team, but I never went to that level. I didn't want that. I didn't want the bigger organization. And so it's interesting because I always, as I was getting into seeing them do that and thinking about doing that and getting employees, I'd always ask my dad, I was like, why aren't you doing all this? Why aren't you? He's like, he didn't care to. He says, I'm not looking to conquer the world anymore. Like I'm, I'm loving what I'm doing. I'm building generational wealth. I'm, you know, I'm having fun. So it's like I to each it. his own. And now I see the wisdom in that. I see like the importance of that. Cause he never got to where, you know, the game became the thing that like you had to do. Like, you know what I mean? Like it yeah. can be this tricky balance of how much am I going after? Yeah, I think that that last little um, that last little bit there that you just said really just sums up the the theme of this podcast, like since existence. Like, it doesn't doesn't that mean you know becoming a billionaire is is cool if that's what you want, but I mean creating a a business that that is predicated on the lifestyle that you want to live is second to none, I believe. So, uh, kudos to him and everybody who's actually creating the business that they that that. that it accentuates the lifestyle that they want, right? It's not that, hey, the business is the focus. And then, you know, once the business is already where it needs to be, that's when I can kind of figure out, all right, what 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 time can I, do I have to my family and myself and to build the life that I want? No, it's like, hey, this is the life that I want. How can I create a business that gives me that life, which is, which is amazing. Last but not least, Danny, why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention of getting to the millions? stuck that that's um i don't think people want to hear the answer to that mm. Mm. i know it's gonna, I be, it's gonna, it's gonna get personal <laughs> no, <laughs> I like no, it. it's, well it's the you know i had read something recently that said that the reason why you're not having the success that you want or you're not getting what you want is because you're not willing to do the actions required for you to get it that's it it boils down to only that like you have fears, you've got excuses, all of it's just because you're not willing to do something. And it's figuring out what that is that you need to do next, not all of it, but what next that you're not doing. You know, so for, yeah. it's like, if you, if you, if you hear about marketing directly to motivated sellers and buying deals that way, and you're like, oh, that's, that's the way to do it. But then it's like, oh, my, my phone number is going to be on that sign on that pole over there. Oh man, no, I, I'm going to find something else to do. You know what I mean? And it's like, you got to, like, you got to move past all that. You just got to be willing to do some of the stuff. And I'm not telling people go do stuff that's like they, that could get them in trouble, (laughs) but that's just one example, right? If you don't want to mail a letter to somebody, because you you might get that call that where they're cussing you out because you mailed them a letter, which will happen if you do enough, enough direct mail. 
all that kind of stuff. You just got to be willing to do the work. Yeah. Yeah. I often get those calls where people specifically just call me to ask me, why do you have my number? Where did you get my number from? And like, I'm just like, okay, you don't want to sell me your house. Okay. Get off my phone. I don't have time right. to explain all these things. So you just get off my phone. It's kind of hilarious. Cause I remember one time I got all this traffic to my website. <laughs> all this traffic was coming from a bass guitar forum. Uh oh. And I was like, what the heck is going on at a bass guitar forum that I'm getting all this traffic. And so I, 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 I went there, I went and I searched for it and I looked, I found the post. One of those bass guitarists had gotten a letter from me about uh, buying his house. And he had this whole thing about why I'm contacting him. And he's like, I want to figure out why this guy is like calling me. Is this some sort of scam? Is this? Oh my God. And then like all these other good bass guitarists are like saying all these things too. And they're building this huge story up. And some of them are saying, I, I Googled him. He's an attorney. I'm not a freaking attorney. <laughs> and like, oh, oh my goodness. And I was like, this is amazing because they're doing all this, spending all this energy and emotional crap. All he had to do, my, I, I literally- Block me or delete me. Just leave it. <laughs> Stop. Call me. Or, or call me. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, oh my goodness. Man. So anyway, yeah. it was just hilarious. Uh, yeah. Hey, Danny, I've absolutely loved our conversation. Um, I've learned so much and we've talked about things that you probably didn't even know we were going to talk about. We've talked about in detail driving for dollars marketing. We've talked about SEO, uh, pulled some great nuggets uh, from for, from you for in terms of SEO, learned a whole lot. And last but not least, we talked about a strong follow up campaign, um, which is absolutely uh, pivotal to anybody's real estate business, any business in general. So, um, Danny, it's been a pleasure. If the listeners want to learn a little bit more about you, they want to maybe pop in, uh, say hi, or ask you a question or two, or find out a little bit more about what you got going on in the business. Where can they find some of your information? Sure. So if, if anybody wants to contact me directly, Danny at forefrontcrm.com. And then that's also the website. So, you know, if you would love to show you the power of that system and how you can leverage that automated follow-up. So it's in the background, uh, book a demo, go over to forefrontcrm.com. That's F-O-R-E-F-R-O-N-T-C-R-M.com. And you can uh, book a demo so we can show you and how that works. And then I've got, I've got two podcasts. If you're if you're a, uh, a newer investor and you're looking for how to get started and, and all of that, Flipping Junkie is my podcast I've been doing for years. And I just recently started a new podcast for real estate investors looking to move from doing everything themselves to building, you know, growing a team and all that kind of stuff. And that's Braver, just simply Braver is the podcast. And so we, we talk about those topics a little bit more advanced. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I probably already know the answer to this, but just curious, why separate those two podcasts instead of having installments of that second, those topics on the original podcast? Well, you say you know why. So why do you think I do? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I feel as though you have uh, two different funnels and you have two different audiences and you want to keep them separate so that you can um, market to them in two different ways. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, uh, well, it's the audience and what the audience is looking for. Because when I was I was talking to you know, our key customers in there, it's like, well, you know, you guys are awesome. We love you. You love us. Like who, who is this? And what are you guys listening to? Like, what are, what are you guys looking for? So provide content for them. And we could do that in the other one also. So the part of that though, and I'll just, cause a lot of people give you some bull crap answer, right? Like, you know, oh, I just thought I'd give like even more great tips, <laughs> but it wasn't, 
<laughs> no, it, it's it's exactly what you said. That that's that's the truth of it. But but then also, I was kind of um, I I want to have a platform bringing in more about the advanced topics of it because I'm a little bit burned out on some of the 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 beginning stuff. I can understand. I'm still that. willing to, and I've got all that content already on Flipping Junkie. But I also want to bring in. I want to start bringing in people for lifestyle stuff for. Uh, you know, mindset and, and uh, things like that. And even spiritual stuff, like that's been a big part of my life recently. And so I want to bring in more of those things that I'm getting so much benefit from and expanding like our, our vision at at my software company is enjoy life. And so that's not just in building wealth. That's in like what we're doing, like how we are approaching everything and, and, you know, letting, letting God or, or the universe, whatever you want to call it, you know, guide your life a little bit. And so it's an interesting, I don't have any guests yet for around that, but I, I'm intending to. I like it. I like it. One of the, I, one of the reasons that actually was more of a selfish reason, because I'm thinking about diverting into a second podcast, but still under wraps. We'll see what happens. Anyways, Mr. Johnson, I thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure and we'll talk to you very, very soon. Thanks.